Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Mountain Meister fans. Welcome to the show. This is Russell speaking. Hello, everyone. This is Ben. Today on the show, we have Garrett Robbins. Garrett is a contributing editor of Trail Runner Magazine and an avid ultra marathoner. He has completed 13 races of 100 miles in length, including the Leadville 100 and Hard Rock 100, which takes place mostly at altitudes above 11,000 feet in Colorado's rugged San Juan Mountains. He is the director of marketing for BOA Technology, the maker of the BOA Closure System, which can be found on athletic footwear, on equipment in golf, cycling, snowboarding, and other categories. So, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Guys, thanks a lot for having me. I, I'm, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. So, 100 miles? 100 miles. How long does that take? <laughs> Well, it, it depends on the race. If it's a flat race at, at sea level, I, I know people who have done these in 14 or 15 hours, believe it or not. And uh, in the case of that Hard Rock 100 race that uh, Russell mentioned, it, it can take close to 48 hours. That's the cutoff. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, we're going to get all into that in uh, some of the competitions you've been in and then also your career. But could you just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself before we get started? Yeah, sure. Uh, that, that's a pretty broad question. I'm not really <laughs> sure where to start, but I, I do live in Colorado. I'm proud to live in, in the Boulder area where we have a whole ton of trails to tap into uh, anytime we want. So I'm, I feel very, very lucky to have that. But I grew up in the Chicago area. Uh, maybe you can pick up on a little bit of my Midwest accent. Yep. Mm-hmm. I grew up in suburban Chicago. And I, uh, I went to school in a small town in central Illinois. And uh, w- with the exception of living overseas just for a couple years in college and one year after college, I spent my whole year in, in the gorgeous uh, Midwest. Uh, I came back from Europe in my early 20s and uh, was itching to stretch my legs a little bit and explore a little bit. And uh, that... that Wanderlust brought me to Colorado, and it's been really tough to leave there since. I've been here mostly since 1996 with just a couple little side adventures career-wise in between. So uh, I'll tell you, we, we have a lot of really extreme people on the show, and sometimes I can you know, picture myself doing what they do. We have the skiers on here, and I ski, but running 100 miles is something that I honestly will never, ever, ever picture myself doing. Did you ever see yourself doing this? How do you even get into trail running? It's, it's a really funny story, and uh, I, I think I, I have a little bit of a, a romantic poet's spirit uh, in me because I've always been just intrigued by events that uh, maybe on some level uh, d- didn't seem entirely possible. And I clearly remember in the early 80s, being a 10-year-old boy, sitting on, on my living room floor, watching this broadcast. I think it was the ABC Wide World of Sports. Do you guys remember that? Uh, it rings a bell. A little bit. Yeah, ABC Wide World of Sports. And they actually had coverage from this crazy race in, in the Colorado Rockies called the Leadville Trail 100. And I watched that, and I, I just 
was so blown away that a human body could endure that. Hmm. And I was really drawn also to the drama that unfolds during an event like that, all the epic highs and lowest of lows. And way back when I was 10 years old, that planted the seed for one day wanting to take on a, a, a huge challenge like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And we've mentioned the, the Hard Rock 100 and you just talked about the Leadville 100. Could you just maybe tell the listeners a little bit what a ultra marathon is and then the types that you typically do? Sure. The, the clinical definition of an ultra marathon is any distance longer than a marathon. Mm-hmm. So uh, a marathon officially is 26.2 miles. So 26.3 miles technically would be considered an ultra marathon, but most ultra marathon distances are 50K, 50 miles, 100K, or 100 miles. And then there are some just absolutely insane ultra marathons that go well beyond 100 miles. Yeah, it's hilarious how these distance runners just have a different perception of distance and time. I was watching some interviews, and this lady's, you know, she's talking about how she did in the race. Yeah, you know, I had some stomach issues for the first 50 miles, but, you know, it's okay. And, I mean, right now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're running, you you have no excuses, no reason to complain. I mean, Garrett, you do you ever complain about being in physical pain? Oh my gosh, I complain so much. Uh, uh, so for a lot of these 100-mile races, they actually allow you to have pacers after a certain point. And it's normally for safety reasons, but there's that companionship that really helps you get through those late miles when you're reduced to a shuffle. And if you were to get any people who have paced me in the past on this show, they would they would share so many stories of me whining and complaining and getting grumpy. So yes, there is a lot of complaining that goes on, but like a lot of things in life, you just put your head down and and barrel through those tough spots because you know that it it never always gets worse is the saying that we like to use. (laughs) Yeah. And you said the word pacer and I wasn't exactly sure what you meant. Are there, is there like a team of a hundred people and they each run a mile with you or how does that work? Oh yeah, sure. So uh, a pacer is somebody who basically accompanies you usually through the latter miles of a race and mm. and it's it's somebody who's not registered for the race they are basically there to be your guardian angel on the course usually it's around mile 50 or 60 uh they'll head out on the trail with you into the darkness of night and a pacer will make sure that you stay on the trail help you to navigate in some races they're allowed to actually carry your gear they, they may hold your gear while you vomit. Uh, I've, I've, had, I've had a pacer do that for me. And, um, and I've also had some pacers with a seeming endless assortment of really, really bad jokes. I mean, that must be really comforting to have the pacer there for you. But you said you, you have the bad joke guy. Do you have any other experiences with really bad pacers? <laughs> well, I think any pacer who's trying to push you pretty hard at that exact moment in time during the race, there's nobody else in the world that you hate more than that person at that specific pinprick in time. But later on, you realize, wow, I could not have done that without them. Yeah. Yeah. So this must be like an emotional roller coaster you're on. Could you maybe walk us through, you know, what are the first 20 and then 40, then 60, then all the way to 100 miles feel like emotionally? 
Sure. Well, you never really know what to expect, and that's part of the beauty of tackling that distance. We like to say if, if we wanted a sure thing, we'd sign up for a 10K race, <laughs> meaning, meaning absolute, absolutely no disrespect to a 10K race because those are hard in their own way. But there is, there is such an element of uncertainty in uh, a very long-distance ultramarathon. Uh, so I'll, I'll use that as a preface to this description of, of a race because no 100-mile race goes exactly according to plan. But usually that first 20 miles, you, you try really hard to just stay very low-key. You keep your heart rate down. You make sure that you're eating and drinking a ton, way more than you think you even need to mm. because that's money in the bank for later on when your stomach is inevitably going to turn south. Now, is this uh, eating – I mean, how much are you eating? As much as you possibly can is, is <laughs> wow. my mantra. Uh, but, but there are other people who take more of a, a, an eat-like-a-bird approach where they just prefer to graze and nibble throughout the race. For me, I know that my stomach's going to be pretty bad later on and nothing's going to look good. So I eat when I can. Wow. We want to eventually talk about the Hard Rock 100, but let's talk about the preparation for a race like that. I mean, it's 100 miles. So what do you do leading up to that? How much time do you typically need? So I know people who have finished 100-mile races training 40 miles a week, and then there are people who sometimes train 150 to 200 miles a week. Uh, So it really varies, and it also depends a lot on the race that you're tackling. So If you're tackling a a pretty flat race, like there's a a rolling race out in Vermont that tends to not have a lot of vertical. It's called the Vermont 100. Uh, That one, I think, climbs maybe 12 or 13,000 feet total, which, believe it or not, is flat. Then you train a lot more flat. But in the case of the Hard Rock 100, which climbs 33,000 feet total, I'm not running as much to prepare for that. In fact, I'm I'm using the Stairmaster at the gym a lot. There's even a treadmill right here uh, at the office that I can get up to about a 30% grade, and I've been working to just hike on that for an hour at a time. Hmm. Yeah, and let's get into one of the races. So we'll talk about the Hard Rock 100 itself. It's in Silverton, Colorado, and uh, apparently it also has the vertical climb of Mount Everest, which is (laughs) over 29,000 feet. It's just unbelievable, and you've done it three times. Is that just on a whole nother level of ultra marathons that are flatter? Every single one of them is so hard because a flatter one, you, you feel like you're fighting the clock a lot more because you're pushing the pace and because you can run a lot more of it. Hard rock, people jokingly call it the hard walk <laughs> because you, you really do end up walking a lot of it. When you're on a very steep grade at an altitude of 12,000 feet, there's just no oxygen up there. So to try to run that is close to suicide. I mean, this sounds absolutely miserable. And I actually read an article that you wrote, and I want to introduce this uh, to the listeners. So you wrote that you're running, and you, you see a body on the ground ahead of you. And you're, <laughs> you're wondering if this guy is dead, or maybe he got attacked by a mountain lion. And you write, hey, you okay? I mumble, My own body is a disaster zone. I cannot eat solid foods, and my legs are so swollen that my limberness is that of an Easter Island statue. 
So this is like one blind man asking another if he likes an impressionist painting. <laughs> the man's eyes are empty and look somewhere well beyond the beam of my headlamp to a day and time when he was more comfortable, perhaps even happier. Uh, yeah, I just need some sleep. I'm good. So this guy's basically delusional at this point <laughs> and just decides to sleep in the middle of the trail. Uh, that's right. I mean, better in the middle of the trail where somebody can find you, right? As opposed to if you're in the weeds and people might not find you for weeks or months. You also talk about how people have hallucinations. Did you ever encounter this stuff? I've, I've had quite a few. Almost everybody who's covered 100 miles has had several. And, and what are you hallucinating? Oh, wow, that's a good one. <laughs> my, 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 my first ever 100 miler, I'm running along. And I was, I was conscious of somebody just ahead of me. And I was following this person for miles and miles. And uh, th- this person was, was navigating for me. And I, in my head, I thought it was a pacer. But then I realized after several miles that my pacer had been running behind me the whole time. So um, it's, it, I, was, I was seeing somebody who wasn't there. I mean, you talk about runner's high. You're, you're basically overdosing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is too much of a good thing. That's, that's a good question. Yeah, but I mean, you're in the wilderness for 100 miles like we're talking about. Is there ever any wildlife out there, like bears or, or mountain lions? I ran by a mountain lion during one race, and it was actually the Hard Rock 100 on a trail coming down into Ure. But I found out after the fact that there was a mountain lion right there. They, they always say the mountain lions see you, uh, and you don't see them. And I guess that that was the case. Uh, another runner ran right by there and Oof. said that he saw him. Um, I, I've, I've run across bears out on the trails during races, and quite a few elk and deer and moose. Your mantra during these races is relentless forward motion. So even when you see something like that and you're lucky enough to spot a, a gorgeous bear up in a tree, you really just want to let momentum continue and keep moving forward. <laughs> okay, so eventually you finish this thing, which is incredible. I mean, I, I really can't picture running any of these or finishing them. Well, you know, I'm not a, a gifted athlete. Uh, I'm built very much like a wrestler. I played soccer in college, but I was the goalie. So, and everyone knows that goalies are usually the laziest on the team. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm not athletically gifted. Uh, what I benefit from is complete stubbornness and probably some idiocy uh, on some level. But most people say that they can't imagine one of these events until they actually go and they watch one. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, some of these people don't necessarily look like world-class athletes. But I tell you what, those people make it to the finish line, and they, it's amazing what the mind can, can help you to accomplish. Wow. Uh, so when, when I hear you say, like, oh, I can't imagine doing one of those, or I'd never take one of those on, don't speak so soon. <laughs> I, wouldn't rule, I, I wouldn't rule it out. No, you're right. It's, uh, I guess you never say never, right? It would take me some baby steps to get there, but it's all about persevering, and never know. Anyway, I would imagine the recovery is just excruciating. What do you feel like after you run this thing and then maybe the next week or so? It is. It's physical and mental, of course. Yes, and, yeah. Uh, you, mentally, you, you do tend to be a little fried and maybe not quite on your A game for several days afterwards. Uh, don't tell my employer that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and physically, you are really beat up. You're, you're not 
quite the same runner for I'd say several weeks to be realistic. I've seen these disgusting pictures. Sorry, um, but about toenails after the race. What do yours look like? <laughs> well, I still have all my toenails, but they, they've grown back since the last time I took on 100 miles. And your toenails get bashed pretty good up against uh, the front of the toe box of your shoe, and you, you collect a lot of blood under, underneath those toenails, which which builds up pressure and, and, and kills the nail, and eventually it falls off. And uh, quite a few ultra marathoners have a collection of toenails sitting somewhere at home i'm Ooh. sure that's probably and good I, for the I, wife huh <laughs> uh, well it's uh it's pretty unappetizing when you see some of us walking around wearing sandals but Ooh. I, I i have one friend who finally said i'm i'm tired of this routine and he had his toenails removed hmm. you can have them removed and then i guess your medical listeners will will weigh in on this but i think that you can apply a low-grade acid and it kills the uh, the uh, growth area, and you, you're guaranteed then that your toenails are never going to come back. So pretty appetizing conversation. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty repulsive. Uh, well, I'm really, actually really I'm actually kind of into it. Do you even need toenails if these runners are taking them off? What else could you use them for? So I've I've been told that they serve no benefit whatsoever. All right. Well, we'll move on from there. You mentioned the physical and then also the mental aspects of it. How is the mental challenges that you've overcome in these races carried over to your personal and professional life? There, there's no doubt that it carries over. And when after you cross the finish line of one of these races, there is this this euphoric sense that there are few things that you can't accomplish in your life if you just are willing to work hard, never back down, and be as stubborn as a mule. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I can't even imagine if I were to overcome that. Yeah, yeah, you got to think that you can overcome anything, you know, yeah. and just the, the perseverance. I mean, it really is impressive. Is that something that you're thinking about during the race? You know, like, I really need to, to do this because this is going to make me a better person. <sighs> no. Uh, with, with one exception, I have a I have a really good friend uh, named Adam who lives out on the West Coast, and he has two daughters. And he's he said that oftentimes during a hundred mile race, he will he will think to himself, "There's nothing that I want more in this world right at this second than to quit, because I'm so tired and sore and just done with this." But then he thinks of his daughters and that that would be a really poor example to set to quit something that he invested so much time and energy and spirit into. And that keeps him going. So I guess in that sense, you, you, it is possible to to think about the inspiration uh, behind the run. Yeah, I mean, that even transcends 100 mile races. You talk about any sort of endeavor that you're facing, you need to really set an example for the people who look up to you. And you know, Garrett, now we need to switch gears to a different part of our show. After something very meaningful and sentimental, we're going to transition to something more tangible. We ask all of our guests for a gear recommendation. What do you have for us? Well, the, the no-brainer there would be to recommend some running shoes, but I'll, I'll throw you a curveball here and say I've been running these long distances uh, since 1994, and my knees are definitely not what they used to be. In fact, I have a really hard time logging the heavy miles that uh, a lot of people think you need to do to finish these, so mm -hmm. I've been cross-training a lot more. 
and that involves getting on a bike and logging some uh, good miles on the country roads outside of Boulder. And uh, I'd say my go-to piece of gear is um, I have a, a pair of road shoes and a pair of mountain biking shoes from Specialized. Their Specialized S-Work shoes are the absolute pinnacle uh, of performance. It's a carbon fiber uh, insole. It gives you a really stiff platform for good power transfer. And uh, I'll throw in a shameless plug here. The company I work for is BOA, like you mentioned, Russell. And it features our closure system. It's a dial-based closure that you use to give yourself micro-adjustment on that shoe. Yeah, they make them in a lot of different types of shoes now, just built in. But I actually had mine retrofitted at the, uh, I think it was at the SIA show. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. I had a question about the bike shoes, just because I've been thinking about getting a pair. But I'm kind of worried that I'll be in a really intense run, but then I'll just fall over because I'll forget to put my feet down. Did you ever have an issue with that when you first got them? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anybody who's uh, who's using clip-ins now will tell you that the first several rides after you uh, put those on, you're, you come cruising up to a stoplight <laughs> and you're feeling pretty good because you just clicked off another few miles. And then as you're falling over, you realize that you're still clipped in and... Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so that's just the point it's, of no return <laughs> it really is you just got to absorb the fall the best you can and know that there are lots of folks laughing at you yeah it's probably worth some of the battle scars but anyway garrett ben and i are thrilled that you came on the show today and we want to wrap things up with that topic we were talking about having children and responsibilities and at the end of the day you have to have your career as well. So how does your work-life balance and also your trail running balance work for you? It's, it is a huge challenge, absolutely, as I'm sure so many of your listeners can relate to. Two things have made a very, very big difference for me. One is that I'm, I'm lucky enough to be married to somebody who understands the joy in taking on huge goals and, and chasing down those goals. In fact, she, she takes on a lot of similar goals and she just finished her first Ironman last November. Uh, so that, that makes all the difference in the world is having that supportive partner who's going to understand when you need to run for five hours on the trails on a Saturday morning and, and is even willing to meet you out in the middle of your run to give you some food or encouragement. So that's one thing. And then the other thing to be a lot more practical minded is I don't want to um, take over precious family time on weekends. So I do my very best to be a morning person. And oftentimes I'll get out the door for a long run at three or four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then you're what, just run a quick 20 miles and then off to work? <laughs> you know, my, my 20 milers are not nearly as quick as they were about 15 years ago. <laughs> Well, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed talking to you. I hope you had fun, too. Everything that we talked about today is going to be on your Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com, where you can find more about Garrett. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, guys, I I really appreciate you uh, listening to me. Uh, (laughs) And I I would just say, if anybody's at all curious about these, there's a whole ton of 100-mile races out there. And the best way to just get a front row seat to the drama that one holds is to contact one of the race directors and volunteer. You can work at an aid station or oftentimes uh, runners are looking for help out there because they're traveling from far away and their family can't join them. So a really good website to go to would be run100s.com. That lists, I think, over 100, 100 100-mile races in the country at last count. For the website, is that 100 spelled out or is that a number? That's the number. So okay. it's R-U-N-1-0-0-S dot com. 
Great. Okay, we'll throw that on your Meister profile page as well. Thanks so much, Garrett. Thanks again, you guys. I really enjoyed it. Well, that was pretty inspiring. I think I'm motivated to run an endurance race. Well, you already got the puking part down, so... (laughs) That's true. And something even more exciting than my puking is what we're going to be doing in the future. So we know that our listeners have a ton of really cool outdoor stories. Our mountain meisters aren't the only ones who have them. So what we're going to be doing is featuring one of our listeners on a Mountain Meister episode. If you have a really cool outdoor story, let us know what it is, and you could be featured. Yeah, we love the passion. We love the stories. So combine it all together, and you could be featured on Mountain Meister. Who do we have next time, Russell? Next time we have Miles Clark. He majored in molecular cell biology. He took the MCATs, and of course, the next step, you would think, ski bumming. And he hasn't looked back since. We'll be right back. 